Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Would you welcome, I, I actually in the first service said one of my favorite people in the entire world, but then I actually had to repent because the scripture he's going to read this morning says you're not supposed to show favoritism. Oh. So I don't know how to do that, but I, I'm just so grateful for Jeremy. Would you just welcome today, welcome him today as he brings the message? Thank you, Ross. Yeah, in the first service, uh, Ross mentioned that I was one of his favorite people in the world, and I, I commented like, ha, Wendy, <laughs> but now I realize why, because just a moment ago, Wendy leaned over to me and she said, I thought Ross wasn't going to preach this morning. <laughs> and uh, just teasing. Oh, what a good day. Well, I'm excited to be here. I hope that you are. My name is Jeremy Shelley. I am the youth and teaching pastor uh, at Quest, and, and uh, it's an exciting day. I'm excited about the things that we're doing as a church to bless our community. I can't, I, I mean, I'm like revved up when I think about the 29-7 project. And so I hope that in you something gets stirred and you think, wow, I want to help out with that. And if that's the case, please uh, go sign up. And um, we are going to do some amazing things in our community. We uh, it's just this opportunity that we have to bring the light of Christ to everyone around us. And, and ultimately, when we do that, we bring the peace and prosperity. And I'm, I'm excited about that. And I hope, I hope you are too. Well, as we consider uh, or as we con- continue this series uh, about hangups in the church, um, I just want to point out one thing. My message today really is a continuation of what Ross preached on uh, last week. And, and, uh, but I, I do want to assure you um, that I won't use phrases that Ross used last week like bitches and whores. I'm not going to say those kinds of things. Um, so uh, I'm just teasing because I just did. Um, but... Um, no, uh, th- though I do want to say this. If uh, you were not here last week, if you did not get a chance to hear what Ross preached, then I encourage you, go to our website, find the messages, and listen to it. It's such an important message. It's vital for us as a community, as followers of Jesus. Listen to that. Consume it. Let it just permeate your soul, and, and um, it's powerful. It is just powerful. So you can check that out uh, either on our webpage or on our podcast um, please check it out. So we're reading through the, the book of Ephesians and um, Paul is making this grouping of things. So the reason this is a continuation of his message is, is Paul talks about uh, how husbands should treat their wives. And today we're going to talk about how parents should treat their children and ultimately how um, masters should treat their slaves. And um, of course, that last section right there should leave us, you know, scratching our heads a little bit. Um, and I'm going to explain more about what Paul was referencing to as it pertains to slaves and masters. But first, uh, I just want to take some time to, to shine some light on this interesting groups, uh, group of passages. So, so Paul is using this letter to teach the believers in Ephesus how they should interact with the people in their households. Uh, houses were composed of parents and children, of course. They were composed of husbands and wives. And, and often uh, they had domestic workers in, in there as well. And it should also be noted that Paul uses this format because it was very common to the day. In the Greco-Roman world, household codes 
were very common. They're written to instruct families on how they should interact with one another. And and this shouldn't be surprising to us. We have very similar things today in in our contemporary world. Just think of books like uh, Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence Others or John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus or even Parents Magazine. Um, We have the same kinds of things today that that, that guide us. And, And quite frankly, most of these are bestsellers you know, and it's because uh, we want to know how to manage our household systems well. We want advice on how we should relate to our children or to our coworkers. Um, so, let's consider how Paul's household code differs differs from the very common household codes of the day. First, I'm going to read from Aristotle's Politics. This is probably the most famous household code that existed. It did predate Paul's letter, uh, but many of the people in uh, that were Paul's contemporaries would know it very well. Uh, and then I'm going to read from another, uh, from uh, Philo of Alexandria. So here's, here's uh, Aristotle's Politics and what it says about household management. Of household management, we have seen that there are three parts. One is the rule of a master over slaves, another of a father, and the third of a husband. A husband and father rules over his wife and children, both free, but the rule differs. The rule over his children being a royal and over his wife a constitutional rule. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than the female, just as the older and full-grown is superior to the younger and more immature. The freeman rules over the slave after another manner from that in which the man rules over the female or the man over the child. Although parts of the soul are present in all of them, they are present in different degrees. For the slave has no deliberative faculty at all. The woman has, but it's without authority. And the child has, but it's immature. Now, uh, Philo of Alexandria, he says it more succinctly this way. Wives must be in servitude to their husbands. A servitude not imposed by violent ill treatment, but promoting obedience in all things. Parents must have power over their children. And the same holds for any other persons over whom the man has authority. Now, Paul's text uh, is uh, different. And I'm going to read to you from the parents and children section and also from the slaves and masters section. I'm going to leave out the husband and wives because that's what Ross talked about last week. But this is, this is how Ephesians chapter 6 or Paul's household code reads. By the way, I want you to pay attention to the, the differences, the distinctives from what Paul writes and what uh, the others have written. Uh, verse 1, chapter 6 in Ephesians says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. 
do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, immediately, uh, you probably notice significant distinctions about these texts, right? Paul wrote with a very different goal in mind than Aristotle or Philo or there are many other household codes as well. Uh, His words are meant to produce, Paul's words are meant to produce a very different outcome than what one of his contemporaries would have wanted. You see, Paul's intent was to elevate the weaker and to align new believers with the attitudes and actions of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to take just a moment here just to address this issue of slavery. Okay, so many people, when they read the words of Paul or Peter uh, in regards to slavery, you know, they bristle up a bit. Uh, You know, often we're averse to these passages because we lay over them our 18th century, you know, slave trade mentality and the history of our nation. And I want to suggest that this is truly an inappropriate way uh, for us to read this text. Now, I in no way want to suggest that the slavery mentioned by Paul didn't come with its fair share of inhumanity, but what he is addressing here is really a far cry uh, from what we usually ascribe to slavery, okay? There were inhumane masters, of course, and mistresses. uh, People were abused, but uh, there were also slaves who were valued, who were respected, and trusted family members. In fact, virtually every household in the Greco-Roman world, with the exception of just the poorest, Um, had slaves who were vital to the work of the house. And and this is why they're included in all of these household codes. According to the Anchor Bible Dictionary, uh, slavery in the New Testament was not based on race. Um, It was not meant to be for a lifetime. And despite the legal distinction between owners and slaves, uh, persons in slavery did not constitute a different social class. Uh, They developed no recognizable distinction. In fact, many people actually sold themselves into slavery so they could have job security. Ultimately, what we're talking about, what Paul is talking about, um, and really all of the other household codes are talking about, is a relationship between a boss and an employee. Uh, The terms of slaves and masters may be better understood in that way. So, this commentary on slavery is, is really a work ethic, and uh, it's a work ethic that blends into a family ethic, and it ultimately points to this uh, direct relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? So, now that we're all sort of on the same page, is that okay? Can we use those terms this morning? Okay, good. Uh, now that we're on the same page, let's take some, I want to take some time just to point out what Paul is doing uh, throughout the entirety of Ephesians. This is an amazing letter, and Paul was so smart in how he crafted it to the church in Ephesus. And um, I read through the letter, and I highlighted all of the references that Paul makes to families. You see, uh, this is important because the second half of the letter, the, the half that we're reading right now, is filled with his practical application for how he lays out our acceptance within the family of Christ. In every chapter throughout Ephesians, and I know that the chapters and the verses and all that stuff, the numbers that were they're added after Paul wrote them, uh, but in every chapter that we have in, Ephes- in Ephesians, uh, Paul actually mentions something about children or families. This is a very common theme for him, and, and, and it's important. It's, it's really significant for us to understand. See, Paul references our relationship to God in the form of the family. Okay, I, I think it's critical that we recognize this because what Paul is establishing for the Christians in Ephesus 
is similar to, similar to what God established for God's chosen people in the Old Testament. That word chosen is uh, critical for us to hear too. Here's what I mean. So Moses, and ultimately God, uh, established for God's chosen a rule that was to be passed down from generation to generation. Of course, that is the uh, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, okay? Uh, it's the law, a way of life and honoring God that directed the everyday growth of the family to growth toward mature belief in God. And here in Ephesians, uh, Paul's writing to these Gentiles that believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul tells them that you were chosen. What an important word. That you were chosen before the foundation of the world, before everything was created. You were chosen by God uh, to be adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And then Paul continues with instructions as to how a follower of Jesus Jesus can grow into a mature believer who is who is not like a child tossed to and fro by the waves of uh, many of the various doctrines. And he says that we do this by putting off our old self and taking on a new self, a, a new identity, an entirely different way of living that's counter-cultural. It's different than what everyone else in the world was doing. It's unique. And that's important. And As we look into uh, the text of chapter 6, we see this startling difference from how Paul is instructing the believers and how the cultural leaders instruct the people. Aristotle, Philo, Josephus, and all of the other philosophers out there, both Jewish philosophers and and non-religious philosophers, they all talk differently and speak differently to the people uh, than Paul does, really, than God does, okay? Last week... We heard Ross say that the intent of Paul's message is to ascribe honor to women. And Paul continues with this same line of thinking. We are to give honor to children and to those that work for us and, and, and with us, even if, even if they don't deserve it. So the first thing that I notice about this passage is that Paul is addressing children first. Didn't you notice that? That was different, right? He addresses children first, and then he, he addresses slaves first. And, and in the passage just previous that Ross, Ross uh, preached on last week, he addressed the women first, the wives first. And by doing so, this text is different than all of the other household code texts that were ever written. They address the person, um, the other household co- texts, code texts, they address the person in the position of power. Uh, it was always about the man. But Paul knows that the follower of Jesus takes the same path of offering and sacrifice that Jesus already did. Life is not about power and position, but it's about humility and gentleness and bearing with each other in love, patience, and unity through peace. So... Let's look at this passage. Uh, We're going to begin with um, the children. Verse 1 through 4, we read, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, so little context to go along with this passage. Paul is writing to the children, 
who um, would have been of age to understand what Paul is saying and also know how to put this kind of thing into practice. So he's not speaking to the young ones, but probably more, you know, some of the folks, 7, 8, 10, 12 high school students back there as well. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that it could be argued also uh, that Paul is also speaking to adult children in the room, which is the rest of us, right? And um, so first we notice there's a distinction between obeying and honoring. Children, obey your parents for it's right to do. Do what they tell you. Now, Paul does not say that obedience is a commandment, okay? Honor is a commandment, but obedience is not. So, so this is what I think is going on here. All children still under the authority of our parents, uh, we need to obey them. That's assuming that they're not telling us to do something that's immoral. And, and um, you may think, well, what parents really tell their children is to do something immoral or illegal or something like that. It happens. Um, and if that ever does happen, children don't have to listen to them. Um, but there's still more going on. Uh, the, there, there is this idea that... Um, uh, there's other times when obedience is not required for children. A lot of us, you know, that are in the room that are adult children, none of us should be expected to obey every command of our parents. It's just not so. If that was the case, I would still be in Texas living with my parents, and my wife would still be in Kentucky living with her parents, and we wouldn't be here together because that's what they wish. But, um, no, we are able to think for ourselves, and we should. We should if our parents have actually raised us well. You know, this is what parenting is actually about. It's launching our children into independent adults, right? However, honor, honor is different. Honor is a commandment. It's always to be done by the children. Honor is always required. No matter what your parents are like, you must honor them. You must pay them respect. Forgive them if they've wronged you. This is, this is a principle that applies to children for their entire lives. We must honor our parents. We don't have to obey them, but we are supposed to honor them and not hate them. Why? Well, first of all, because we're commanded to by God, but also for our own children's sake. Our children need to see us respect our parents so they can learn to follow this commandment as well. And I know that some of us have a really difficult time uh, honoring our parents. They make it very difficult for us to do that, but we are required to. And, and, and if you're not sure what that would look like, how you would honor your parents, um, this might be a time to take a cue from culture and uh, think about how other people do it, right? Um, what is the most appropriate way for us to show them respect? More than likely, uh, you can think of at least one thing or two things that your parents gave to you or demonstrated for you or blessed you with that you can thank them for, that you can show them respect for them giving that to you. That is one way that we can honor our parents. We say thank you. Because I learned this from you. I'm a better person because of how you did this for me. That shows them honor. It's also uh, very important for us to forgive our parents for anything that they may have done to us that was hurtful. Uh, I'm going to talk about this in just a moment. Um, uh, so first I want to move on to fathers uh, before uh, we get there. So let, let's talk about what Paul says to them. 
going to give a little more context here uh, that I think is necessary. Uh, children in the Greco-Roman world were considered possessions, okay? Uh, a father could use his position of authority uh, in any way that he wanted with his children, even to the point of death. Now, this should be shocking for us. Uh, it was not uncommon for daughters or for children with deformities or whatever else to be uh, cast out, to be left uh, in the elements to fend for themselves. If, if a father didn't want his kid, he could just, you know, be done with them, write them off. They're his possessions to do with whatever, however he wanted to. But Christian parents were not allowed to act like this. They weren't allowed to act as though their children were, were possessions. Christian parents should not wield that kind of authority over their children as a weapon. Um, so let me, let me just take a little moment here and talk what Ross just, Ross touched on this last Sunday and, and, and I want to restate it. What Paul is suggesting is completely counterintuitive to what the culture said, both back then and, and certainly now. And, and, uh, when a person heard the message of Christ and they began living as a Christian, it was a radical difference for them. And people who were looking at them from the outside were drawn to this new way of life. It was a life that honors individuals, uh, that God created. And when people saw others living like that, when people saw fathers, uh, respecting their children, when people saw fathers or husbands respecting their wives, when, when, when that was seen and lived out in front of other people, um, those who were not followers of God would be drawn to it. It's a distinctive way of life. So when Paul addresses the fathers, he did so because they had so much power. And, and, and his statement here is twofold. He says, don't over or under discipline your kids. That's one. And two, raise them up in Jesus Christ as you too have been raised. And this reaches right back into the Old Testament. Uh, Paul is saying, pass on the faith that you have to your children. Tell them the stories. Don't withhold from them the faith that you have, but let them experience your God encounters. Do you remember what the Hebrew people were told to do by God uh, right before they were going to enter into the promised land? The story goes like this. They're, they get up to the Jordan River, and it's in its flood stages. And all of these um, Israel, Hebrew people were about to cross uh, the Jordan. And, uh, and then as the priests step into the water, the water goes back. They can walk across on dry ground. It's kind of like the Red Sea. Um, and uh, as they walk across, God says, I want you to take up a stone, one for each tribe, and build a memorial, a monument, an altar right here on the other, other side of the Jordan. And when your children see that altar and they ask you what it's for, you tell them what I did for you here. What the Lord your God has done for you. Pass on the story of the miracles that I have done for you. This is, this is what Paul is instructing. He's, he's saying your life is different now. Tell your kids why. Let your, let your, let your life shine before them. It's better and, and demonstrate to them the life that I have prescribed for you. And this is how he says to do it. He says discipline's required. Uh, not too much so that your children hate you but not too little so that your children become entitled and frustrated with life after they grow up. And this is what he says. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't infuriate your kids so that they will become bitter and want to run away. Now, 
I wanted to wait and talk about forgiveness um, for this moment right here because uh, I think it relates uh, to, to uh, parents. And as a youth pastor, uh, I hear this from kids all the time. None of the kids in this church, mind you, but in other churches uh, back. You know, I hear kids talking about, I'm never going to treat my kids the way my, my parents treat me. You know, how many of you, have, well, you don't have to raise your hands, but think about yourself. How many of you have said that? Like, oh, I will never do to my kids what my parents did to me. This is not fair. Um, I will never do that. Um, there's sometimes when this kind of a vow is okay. Of course, in times of like, you know, uh, total, uh, you know, immoral, whatever things that are going on within the household. But, but by and large, uh, it's not okay for us to make that kind of a vow um, because what we think we're getting, which is really freedom from how our parents treated us, you know, actually we're not. We're, 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 it's, it's, um, it's totally the opposite. What I want you to consider is when our parents exasperate us, when they drive us to rebel and we make vows never to do the same things that they did to us, even though we think we are in control of our behavior, Really, we're still being controlled by our parents. You see, our decision to react to their provocation shows that we are still under their control. We have not grown up. We're still acting like immature children. And until we forgive them for the things that they've done to us, no matter how hard that is, we will be controlled by them. So parents... Don't do this to your children. Don't exasperate them. Don't infuriate them. This means that we shouldn't be excessively severe. We shouldn't have unreasonable, harsh demands. We shouldn't be abusive in our authority or arbitrary in our decisions. We, we can't subject our humiliation, um, our children to humiliation. I'm looking over at the high school students and they're all like, yeah, mom and dad, mm. you heard it. Listen to this. Uh, we also can't be too soft on them either. I'm just kidding. All right. So um, we, we've got to. Here's the thing. We, 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 you know, uh, these are the kinds of things. Um, being unreasonably harsh, abusive in our authority, etc. Uh, these things um, lead to rebellion. We must let them know right from wrong. We must correct them when we need to. But we must also show them gentleness, humility, and repentance when it's necessary. But also... We cannot under-discipline. If we're permissive and we're lenient with our kids, um, or maybe we're afraid of, of, of their uh, disapproval, then we're going to set them up for an unfair perspective about what, what it's like to live in the world, right? Um, you know, when, when they step out as adults thinking that they can experience the world however they want to, um, uh, and without any consequences, then they're going to meet a harsh reality. Adults, you know this, right? When you go in for your job, there are things you have to do regardless, or there's consequences. The world is hard, but if we demonstrate discipline in our own life and, and, and in how we correct our children, then we prepare them for the world. We prepare them to be well-adjusted kids, adults, I'm sorry. We prepare them to be well-adjusted adults. And Paul adds then, I think the most important piece for believers to raise our children in the instruction of the Lord. If we teach our kids how to follow Jesus, then we set them up for a life of blessing. I'm not going to move on to Paul's section of work here, but I just want to leave you with two things as it relates to um, children and parents and how we can raise our children in the Lord. First, uh, about prayer. Um, this is such an important thing for us to teach our kids 
You know, prayer, you know, it's that, it's that divine connection, the connection that we have to God, where we encounter him, where we hear from him, where we are filled up by him. Uh, and and uh, we need to teach our children uh, how to pray, how to encounter God, how to listen to his voice, how to experience him. And um, uh, we have this opportunity as parents to teach our children how to hear from the living God. And uh, this is amazing. And I want to challenge you first to pray with your kids on a regular basis, whether that means before bed or at dinner time or, um, you know, before they go to school, wh- whenever it is to, to just pray with them on a regular basis. And, and I also want to challenge you to consider moving away from what I call formula prayers. Now, I, I was raised on formula prayers every night at dinner time. Uh, my dad would pray that the, um, that, uh, how did it go? That we would bless this food to our buddies and us to your service. Amen. Um, I, I still pray that way. In fact, I prayed that way last night, uh, for dinner. Um, but I, I've been challenged recently to take advantage of this opportunity that I have with my son. My son's almost four years old. And, and um, I want to I teach him how to hear the voice of God when we pray. I mean, what if we showed our kids that we should expect to hear from God? What, what, if, what if when we pray, we ask Jesus to tell us what we should be thankful for? And what if we then had our kids pray that way? I want to encourage you parents to to expect Jesus to speak to and through your children. Let them pray as Jesus leads them. And I've I've tried this with my four-year-old, and quite frankly, um, I've been inconsistent in it, and so have um, the responses that my son has made, you know, sometimes I, I listen to him speak after he's asked Jesus to, um, to tell him what he should be thankful of. And there were moments when I know that he heard from God. And then there's times when I'm like, what are you even talking about often? Like that doesn't even make sense. I don't think God is grateful for Batman. Um, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's awesome though. When when I hear him and clearly the Lord has spoken to him and he uh, verbalizes that, it's, it, it's just floored. I mean, here's a, here's a, a three-year-old boy, almost four years old, and, and he's hearing from God. And I think, yeah, this is, this is what parenting is supposed to be like. The other thing that I want to encourage you with is to have a regular conversation with your children about how you've seen God moving in your life during the day. Ask them uh, if, ask your kids if, if they witnessed God at work. Uh, tell them how you saw Him moving and working in the in the people and the lives and the situations around you. In in, in the youth group, uh, we call this God sightings, right? You know, we we ask, okay, Chandler. Woo! Um, we ask, I ask the kids all the time, like, how did you see God at work? Where, where did you see God? Where, where, what are the God sightings in your life? And when we hear those stories, what ultimately happens is it trains us to be tuned in to the work of God in our lives. How awesome would it be if we started raising our children to be expecting God to move and work and then for them to articulate that to us? I mean, that is a powerful thought. So, so let's, let's let Jesus speak to our kids in prayer and, and let's talk regularly about what God God is doing in the world and lives around our kids. 
That's awesome. And then, of course, there's, there's other things that we should do to raise our children in the faith. We can model scripture reading. We can model tithing. We can make church attendance a priority over other activities. We can serve God as, as he has gifted us. We can share our faith regularly. Uh, we can pray with our spouse and for our spouse. We can model Christ-like conflict and communication in our homes. We can bless the people in the church, uh, and especially our pastors. We can, um, we can do all of these things. No one heard that? Especially, I'm just kidding. Um, all of these things, when we, when we live them out in front of our kids, it, 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 it impresses them. It's, it's behavior that they're going to live into, and that's such a beautiful thing. See, Paul's purpose in this letter is to say that our lives will look different because of Christ. That's, that's that, that we behave differently because of our faith in Him. And when our kids see it, and when we explain that difference, this is how we raise them up to become mature believers in Christ Jesus. Okay, uh, let me move on to work. Uh, one of my favorite uh, scriptures is found right here. It's Ephesians 6, 7. In fact, uh, this is why I titled this message, For the Lord. And, and that reads, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. We do these things because of what God has done for us. We do them for God and no other reason. And what we do is different than what the world does. And people are drawn to that. Let's, so let's read um, this scripture in its full context. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I've had um, some pretty crummy jobs in my life, and um, this is not one of them. Don't worry, Ross. Um, But probably the the worst job uh, that I had was when I was in seminary. I was a custodian at my school, and somehow uh, I missed the announcement that the line for work-study jobs was forming over here, and so I was the last in line, and the only thing, the only position left was janitor, and I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Let's do this. Um... The work was hard, um, but really it wasn't the work that was so difficult. It, it was actually, um, I, well, I had to clean the dorms and uh, I had to walk through these hallways and clean bathrooms um, after my fellow students. I had to clean up after them. And some of my peers in class looked down on me for what I did to pay my way through seminary. Um, it was like I was their housekeeper and I didn't have the same dignity that they had. Um, but I had this boss at the time who was very good at his job and, and quite possibly he may have demonstrated the most faithful biblical view of work that I've ever witnessed. Um, he would often pull the janitors aside, all the custodians, and, and he would remind us that cleaning toilets and shampooing cart carpets and taking out the trash is necessary for the, the men and women to come and study to be pastors and teachers in the church. He elevated the position that we were in. He ascribed to us both dignity and purpose. And he showed us that the work that we did had value and that God was pleased when we were faithful to do the dirty work. 
Um, I, I just got back from a mission trip with the high school students, and we did a lot of good uh, while we were away. But it's interesting because I heard a lot of the same complaints that I used to have when I was a custodian. You know, the, this work isn't really helping anyone. Um, you know, why, what good are we really doing here? Why are we doing this work? And um, one of our groups, though, was, was uh, working at a horse farm. And uh, they were cleaning up manure in the sun. Here's a group of them. And uh, it was hot work. It was smelly work. It was hard work. And uh, they... I, I just from things that I heard, the group was complaining a little bit like, why, why are we really having to do this? What's, what's the point uh, of what we're doing? And then uh, on the day before they left, they watched this disabled man uh, ride a horse as a part of his therapy. You see, the, the place where they were um, was in, uh, it was called EQuest. It was an um, equine center for therapeutic riding for people who were disabled. And uh, this man was severely brain damaged. And as, as the students watched this happen, uh, they understood what their work was all about. You see, this man doesn't have to pay for the therapy that he's receiving because volunteers do all of the work for the farm. And, uh, and it was just made abundantly clear to them how important the work was that they were doing. God uses our work to bless the people around us. It doesn't ha- matter how menial it may seem. The work that we do is incredibly important. What Paul wants us to remember is that each of us have dignity regardless of what we do. And so we shouldn't look down on someone for the work of their hands. We shouldn't feel bad about the work that we do. But instead, we should recognize how the work is actually a blessing for someone else. See, God provides for us uh, through the work of others. We pray for provision. I'm sure many of you have prayed that way. And God provides it both by the work that we do and also the work of others. See, think about it. You know, um, God keeps us safe uh, through like police and firefighters um, he, he, and the military. Uh, we have good governance because of the politicians. He gives us food from the work of the farmers and the grocers. He keeps our houses and streets clean because of the folks that come by and pick up the trash every single week. The work that we do, the work that others do is important. And we have to recognize its value in order to keep the correct perspective. See, I didn't want to clean toilets when I was in seminary. And, and those high school students, they didn't want to shovel manure. Uh, but with the right perspective, with the idea that the work that we're doing is a way for God to bless others, that's when we realize that we work for God and not for man. We don't have to be pastors or missionaries to work for God, to be called by Him. That's not necessary. The work that we do is God's calling on our life to bless others. The people who do the work of every legitimate job out there, you know, the banker, the lawyer, the executive, the custodian, the fast food worker, stay-at-home mother, nurse practitioner, secretary, nanny, salesman, whatever it is, um, the work that people do is a calling from God because he uses it to bless others. What you do for work, God uses to provide for someone else. So you need to work faithfully as unto the Lord and not man. And trust me, a person that works um, this way will get promotions and raises. When, 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 when we care more about what our heavenly boss sees, then we also please our earthly boss, right? Right? When we work this way as if what we do matters no matter what it is, then our earthly boss is pleased. Um, I recently experienced uh, this blessing, and I'm only sharing this because I'm so proud of Quest and the community that we have. Um, many of you know that I have a herniated disc in my neck, and um, 
In the spring, I was uh, almost completely debilitated, wasn't really able to do my job uh, to the fullest. You know, I couldn't play volleyball with the students. I couldn't go on roller coasters with the students. I, I couldn't bungee jump with the students and all that stuff. And it was really hard. I'm serious. Uh, going to camp and just watching them have all this kind of fun. But um, un- like unknown to me, a group of folks uh, came together and they raised the um, necessary funds for me to go through decompression surgery. Uh, I'm sorry, not surgery, decompression therapy uh, so that I could be healed. And-, and it's awesome when I think about it because their work, the work that they did to raise that money, um, the work that they did to get the money to begin with, the work of the chiropractor, the work of um, the assistants in the doctor's office, that was all God's way of providing healing for me. You know, it was, it was amazing, and 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 um, I just I just sat back and I was blown away. Like God, thank you so much for for taking care of me. The work that we do, no matter what it is, it's important. So if you're a boss, it's critical that you treat your employees with the respect that they deserve. Creating a work environment that people want to work in. Don't demean your workers. Paul is telling us respect them. Show them what you expect from them, but always show your workers respect. The message to the father and his children is really the same as the message to the boss and the employee. Everyone deserves respect because they have dignity. Give them respect even if they don't deserve it. Use your power and your authority to make it easy for your employees to work for you. Threatening with punishment may ensure outward obedience but it's hardly the kind of obedience that comes from the heart. Paul's comments here in Ephesians are very focused. Um, The challenge that he's making to us is to awake from the dreariness of life that culture demands is necessary. To to live a free and vibrant life that, that not only stands apart from the culture, but also shines its radiance on others. Life in Christ demands that we recognize the value of everyone around us and treat them accordingly. As followers of Jesus, our responsibility is to be imitators of Jesus in in all of our relationships. And Paul focuses his dialogue on the home because he knows that this is the heart of society and culture. If we can live in our homes with grace and peace among our families and the people that work for us, then we can create change in the broader spheres of our lives. We will create ripples that extend out from our homes that bring order to the chaos that surrounds us. In everything that we do, we should seek to honor the Lord. In every relationship that we have, we should seek to honor the Lord. For how we treat others is really how we treat Christ. Let me me pray for us. Well, God, we are, um, Lord, so thankful that you have chosen us, that you, uh, before the foundation of the earth, you knew that we would be a part of your family and you adopted us in as sons and daughters. Thank you, God, so much for that. And we pray that we would live lives that, that reflect the life of your son, Jesus that we would be men and women who treat others the way Jesus treated others, that our households, that our, our places of work would be place where, where we would radiate Christ to everyone around us. Lord, let our actions, let our words, let our attitudes 
Let how we use our power and our authority, Lord, let it bless others. Let it raise up others. Let it speak to their dignity. Let us speak love and grace to those around us. We pray these things in your Son's wonderful and holy name. Amen. I want to uh, encourage you guys, if you need some prayer, if you uh, have something going on in your life and you want to to talk about it, to pray about it, I want to encourage you to go over to the prayer area. We'll have some folks there uh, to pray with you. Um, But I also want to say that uh, as we go this week, let us be a blessing to those around us. Let us radiate the love of Christ uh, in our homes, in our workplaces, to the people around us. Let us show them that they have dignity, that they deserve respect. Let us be Christ to those around us. Thank you, church. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.